Okay, I want to uh, acknowledge our distinguished guests that you have here, um, Secretary Slater. Uh, we have also the delegation from uh, Team 36, uh, Senator Hershey, uh, Delegate Grice, Delegate Jacobs, Delegate Arents, um, and we have uh, Executive Director Ports as well. Uh, who am I missing? Is that the top of the ambience? You can introduce your whole team. All right, come on up and the elegant you have the stage. Well, great to be here. <laughs> Thank you all. Good afternoon. Uh, for the record, my name is Greg Slater, Secretary, Maryland Department of Transportation. Uh, thank you for inviting us here today. We're going to provide an overview of our draft six-year program. Each member of our, our business unit team will come up and, and talk through kind of the aspects of their program. Let me first by uh, introducing the team we have with us today. From the State Highway Administration, we have Administrator Tim Smith and our District Engineer, uh, Kenny Fender. From the Maryland Transportation Authority, we have Executive Director Jim Ports. Uh, from the Maryland Transit Administration, we have our local Transit Support Director, Travis Johnson. From the Motor Vehicle Administration, we have Administrator Christy Neiser. From the Maryland Aviation Administration, we have the Regional Aviation Assistance Director, Ashish Salanki. And uh, from the Secretary's Office, we have Regional Planner, Dan Janicek, and our Director of Government Affairs, Pilar Helm. It's certainly been a uh, challenging year uh, in 2021 for all of us. Uh, the pandemic led to uh, record decreases in travel and significant impacts to our trust fund. The good news is in recent months, those trends have recovered. We are uh, here today uh, as we're starting to recover. In the third week of September, traffic on Maryland highways was down 7% compared to those levels at 2019. On the other hand, Maryland's uh, economy, our economic recovery and uh, supply chain trying to keep up with that growing demand. Truck volumes on our system is up 9% compared to where we were in, in 2019. Over at BWI Thurgood Marshall Airport, we are down about 25% compared to 2019 as that business travel is uh, recovering a little bit slower than the uh, leisure travel is. Over at the Port of Baltimore, we are uh, rebounding as we're growing uh, the e-commerce business across the state and we're seeing a lot of activity come through the port. Uh, right here in uh, Queen Anne's County, we have global wholesale supply, uh, Paul Reed Smith guitars and uh, video mount products all ship their products through the Port of Baltimore out of Queen Anne's County. More than a year uh, now where Motor Vehicle Administration has operated under that appointment only environment uh, to promote the safety and health of our customers and our staff. During that team, the agency has significantly expanded its online services through their innovative Customer Connect system. As a result, our MVA is now serving more customers online than we ever have before, and we're actually serving more customers overall than we ever have before by controlling that through the appointment system. Switching over to transit, the ridership on our MTA core services remains consistent. Our, uh, we're getting close to about 70% of pre-pandemic ridership on our core bus systems, and then our Metro right, light rail and our Mark train are recovering a little bit slower uh, as that government services in DC start to open up. Uh, but we recently resumed our full scheduled service on Mark and commuter bus, uh, as many riders are returning back to the workplace. Shifting over to the details of our six-year program, I'm pleased to announce today that our draft 22 to 27 CTP is approximately $16.4 billion. That's a billion dollars more than the six-year program we presented last year and was passed in the budget. 
and on par, par with our $16.4 billion program passed in 2019. So we have uh, the 2021 to 26 budget was 15.2, and we're sitting here at $16.4 billion. The largest driver of the increase in the recovery included uh, the influx of COVID relief funds at $841 million out of the federal government and a revenue uh, gain of $488 million. The largest component of that is the motor fuel tax at $255 million and our titling fees at $213 million with that recovery. This CTP we are presenting focuses heavily on system preservation, taking care of the system that we have out there. It really is key. More than half of this budget, $8.2 billion, is going directly into state of good repair work. Looking ahead, we believe we've weathered the worst of this COVID revenue impact, uh, and we expect most revenues to return to pre-pandemic levels by 2023. Those federal relief dollars are helping us bridge that gap until we get there. Beyond 2023, revenue growth is expected to be a little bit slower, um, with no expected growth uh, during that six-year period. But with some of that uncertainty in mind, we are continued to focus on stretching every dollar that we can and that system preservation focus. We have a significant state of good repair backlog that we're trying to catch up on, about $7 billion across our transportation system. Much of our infrastructure was built decades ago and we have to replace those bridges and, and tunnels and, and rail lines all at the same time. Uh, we have a, a $2 billion backlog on our transit network, $4 billion on our highway network, $750 million in our two main airports, BWI and Martin State, and $100 million in needs of our aging infrastructure over at the MVA, on top of $250 million in needs over at the Port of Baltimore. The whole system is in need of modernization uh, and upgrade uh, through this next generation. We are continuing to uh, support the deployment of electric vehicles uh, as a network of reliable charging stations is needed to refuel them. We currently have about 36,000 electric vehicles in the state uh, and about 1,000 charging stations with 2,700 charger outlets. Uh, what you'll see in this program is our priorities are very clearly system preservation, modernizing our system, and building that next shelf of projects, investing in that development and engineering program, get that next shelf ready. Uh, switching over on the federal side, a big part of how we deliver this vision is uh, going to involve the federal investment. As I'm sure you've heard, Maryland received significant funding from the uh, CARES Act, the CRISA Act, and the ARPA Act of uh, 2021. Uh, numerous projects across the state are going to benefit from those funding sources, uh, including a lot of our dredge uh, operations over at Masonville, Cox Creek, and Poplar Island, uh, the Port of Baltimore, our upgrade of our transit vehicles, uh, as well as our MVA branches. Uh, we are closely watching the activities in D.C. today, uh, and we're very hopeful for some continuing resolution to keep the government moving, but also uh, that much-needed infrastructure investment uh, we're hopeful they're going to come together so we can make those investments as quickly as they come to us. Uh, before I turn to State Highway, let me first say that uh, Governor Hogan recently announced about $16.8 million in grants to support our bike and pedestrian and trail activities. Uh, here in Queen Anne's County, that includes 59000 through the Rec Trails program. Uh, the program focuses on investments to improve and preserve that statewide Rec Trail network. Uh, and these funds are going to be used for construction of that 10-foot wide uh, paved trail to link that northern portion of Kent Narrows to uh, the Cross County Connector Trail. 
uh, that continues to Graysonville. Also here in Queen Anne's County, the Maryland Department of Natural Resources is gonna receive about $38,000 through that program, and they're investing that directly into uh, trails at Tuckahoe State Park, Martinick State Park, uh, Y Island, and Sassafras. So we're gonna be highlighting those grants as we go across the state. At this point, I will uh, turn it over to our business units, starting with Tim Smith from the State Highway Administration. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, for the record, Tim Smith, uh, MDOT State Highway Administrator. Um, happy to be here. Um, so last year, we focused very much on the operations and construction of our existing program uh, through the pandemic and uh, through following proper health practices. And happy to say we made some great progress on a few projects, a few right here in uh, Queen Anne's County. So one of those is uh, we have four major resurfacing projects uh, that we either started or finished this past year. So one of those is uh, Maryland 544 in Crumpton. That's roughly a little under a half a million dollar project we just completed last December. Uh, another one is Maryland 213 uh, from Churchill to Kingston. Uh, that's roughly a $2.1 million project that we just wrapped up, I think just a few months ago, probably about June. Uh, another one is Maryland 544 from 4th Street uh, to 213. That's a $2.1 million project that's anticipated to be complete before the end of this year. We're trying to wrap that up at that point. Um, in addition to that, uh, we have uh, moved forward with a U.S. Uh, northbound 301 project, a bridge, bridge replacement project. That's basically an $8.8 .8 million bridge, sorry, bridge replacement at the Chester River. Uh, we're anticipating beginning that next spring, so spring of 2022. Uh, and hoping to have that completed uh, in later on in 2023. So that's 12 to 18 month window for that one. And lastly, uh, in Kent Island, uh, we began uh, design $170,000 on a sidewalk improvement on um, Love Point Road. So those are some of the, the projects we moved forward with over the last year. And as the secretary mentioned, CTP is kind of back to pre-pandemic uh, levels. So we're looking at rebuilding our shelf of projects in State Highway. And we're focusing on three main areas. One's asset management, one's accessibility, and another, the lastly is mobility. So when I talk about asset management, that's really about uh, gearing our program to making sound transportation infrastructure decisions long-term, but uh, making those decisions in the near term. Uh, it's about thinking about the next generation and having that mindset. Accessibility is really looking about our vulnerable users like pedestrians, bicyclists, those using scooters, as well as motorists. Um, when Secretary Slater uh, was in the administrator seat in 2019, we started a context guide, which is really just a, a different way of, of designing, planning, constructing, and maintaining our roadways. Uh, previously, we just had urban and rural roadways that we're kind of designing for. Now we have a suite of different contexts we're looking at, um, everything from urban core to uh, uh, urban centers to, to suburban areas. So we're looking at across all those areas. Um, that's a bit of a culture shift for us uh, because, you know, engineer, I'm an engineer so I can say this, we don't always adjust quickly, but uh, what we're doing now is from a planning and design standpoint, putting those projects in, in our hopper and with that different context, we'll be able to design those projects. So looking through it from a context guide as well as a vision, vision zero effort, we know long term that'll give us safer roadways for everyone. And last item I talked about was mobility. So mobility for State Highway at this point is Looking at our existing footprint, what, what's the best way we can maximize the use of our existing roadways 
Um, that's using intelligent transportation systems, using devices and technology we can use on the roadway, looking at hard shoulder running on our shoulders where we have the capability, but basically using a combination of our existing footprint and, our, and technology to maximize and both safe movement but efficient use of our roadways. So in closing, uh, we kind of are navigating these challenging times both uh, fiscally as well as mentally as we're trying to kind of rebound from COVID. So what we're doing is we're, as part of that fiscal responsibility, we're looking at our internal resources on how we're making the best decisions. And kind of back to that asset management philosophy, we're looking the long, making the best decisions we can short in the near term, but thinking long term about all our decisions. Um, I'm going to thank you for your time, and I'm going to turn it over to uh, our partners over at MDTA and Jim Ports. <clears throat> okay. Well, thank you. For the record, Jim Ports, Executive Director, MDTA. It's always a pleasure to be here in Queen Anne's County. And uh, this past year, the MDTA made great progress in preserving Maryland's toll facilities and developing projects and studies to serve Maryland, uh, Marylanders into the future. The Bay Bridge Automated Lane Closure System, the ALCS project, was constructed for uh, opening and closing lanes for two-way traffic and operations on the bridges. The ALCS will enhance the current manual system of cones and barrels and uh, it'll allow our maintenance crews to remotely implement and discontinue two-way traffic on the Bay Bridge on both the eastern and the western shores. The ALCS will include overhead lane use control signals, dynamic message signs, horizontal uh, swing gates, and illuminated pavement markers. Work on the projects such as uh, conduit boring and insulation began in February tw uh, 2020 on the Eastern Shore and January 2021 on the Western Shore. The ALC ALCS project includes reconstructing and aligning US 50 eastbound in the former toll plaza area. And in the fall of 2022, the automated lane closure system will be in place in both directions. And I'm gonna go off script a second and thank you all for your letter uh, to the BPW to help us on that, the one side of the bridge going eastbound for that emergency uh, order procurement that we did. So thank you very much. That's all that support is very helpful. In February, the tier one draft environmental impact statement for the ongoing Chesapeake Bay Crossing Study was made available for public review and comment at baycrossingstudy.com. The MDTA held an impersonal and virtual public hearings in April and the comment period ended in May. We expect to identify a selected corridor alternative and publish a combined final environmental impact statement and record a decision in the winter of 2021-2022. The MDTA implemented temporary all electronic tolling statewide in March of 2020 as part of its COVID-19 response and we made all electronic tolling permanent in August of 2020. Construction for highway speed all electronic tolling on new, and new gantries and the removal or partial removal of existing toll plazas is underway at the Fort McHenry Tunnel, JFK Memorial Highway, and the Nice Middleton Bridge. A study is underway for I-895 Baltimore Harbor Tunnel toll plaza and interchange improvements which will allow MDTA to bring highway speed all electronic tolling to the Harbor Tunnel. The MDTA launched Drive Easy MD, the new home for all things tolling in Maryland. The April launch of Drive Easy MD included a new website, web chat, 
customer call center with expanded hours, text notifications, and more. Customers can now pay their tolls with EasyPass, pay-by-plate, or video tolling. And uh, just a real quick thing on that, <clears throat> we call it good, better, best. Good, you get to go through, uh, get video tolled, but you're going through at highway speeds. Better, pay by plate, you pay basically the, the former cash rate. And then easy pass, you get at least a 25% discount up to 77% discount for commuters. So it, to receive the lowest rate, let us know. We'll help you out with your commuter rate, 77% discount. That's my 15 second commercial. I won't bore you with that anymore. More features such as additional vehicle classes with lower toll rates and a mobile app are coming soon. Lastly, major ongoing statewide projects also include the $1.1 billion I-95 Express Toll Lanes Northbound Extension Program to relieve congestion and improve travel along I-95 Corridor Northeast Baltimore. And construction began in May on the major project to widen northbound I-95 between Maryland 43, which is White Marsh Boulevard, and Maryland 152, which is Mountain Road, to make way for the extension of two-way northbound express toll lanes. The extension is expected to open to traffic by 2024 to Maryland 152, and with full extension north of Maryland 24, open to traffic by 2027. With that, I'll close. I thank you, and I'll now turn it over to Travis Johnston at MTA. Thank you, Jim. Good afternoon, Travis. I'm Travis Johnston, Local Transit Support Director for Maryland Transit Administration. MTA is one of the largest multimodal transit systems in the United States, operating a local bus and commuter bus network, as well as light rail link, metro subway link, marked train service, a comprehensive mobility paratransit system, and supporting the locally operated transit system statewide. The agency's goal is to provide safe, efficient, and reliable transit across Maryland with world-class customer service. The COVID-19 health crisis highlighted the critical role transit plays in connecting the region's residents to employment, health care, education, and other essential services. I'm happy to report that as of August 30th, all modes have resumed full scheduled service. MTA continues to make significant capital investments in the state of good repair projects to ensure the transit system remains a safe and reliable transportation option for the region. As Secretary Slater mentioned, federal relief funding from the CARES Act, CRISA, and ARPA have filled operating funding gaps and state of good repair needs. MTA will continue to prioritize funding for state of good repair projects across all our modes with particular focus on our older assets. Recently, MTA published the agency's strategic plan for the next five years. The plan is named Rebuilding Better, Committed to an Equitable Transit Future. The plan will guide the agency's recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic and identifies priorities for the agency to create a brighter future for transit by focusing on technology, communication, and collaboration with equity as the central focus. These commitments build upon the strong foundation and progress MTA has established to improve the transit experience and system reliability for our riders, 
This includes recognition as the safest transit system in the U.S. for the last seven years, implementation of Charm Pass mobile ticketing, improving bus reliability with dedicated bus lanes, and expansion of real-time information to mark train and commuter bus. The full, plan, the full plan is available on the MTA website for review. MTA is also undertaking the first 50-year statewide transit plan. The draft plan is expected to be available for comment by the end of the year. Building upon existing regional and local transit plans across the state, the plan will outline a 50-year vision for transit in Maryland and help define transit needs across the state for future generations. We look forward to continuing to work with Queen Anne's County and stakeholders across the state to develop this long-term vision and framework for coordinated transit service in Maryland. MTA also makes a significant investment here in, here in, tran I'm sorry, in transit in Queen Anne's County by providing nearly $780,000 in operating and capital grants to support the local county-ride transit operation. Additionally, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, Queen Anne's County will receive $2.8 million in federal relief funds to support transit operations and or capital needs for the county transit system. Thank you for your time. I will now turn it over to our teammate, Chrissy Neiser at MVA. Thank you, Travis. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. At MDOT MBA, we remain uh, focused on providing that premier customer service, both inside and outside the branch office. As the secretary mentioned, we are still appointment only, but we have expanded to the capacity that we were doing prior to the pandemic. And in many cases, we're actually serving more customers because the appointments allows us more efficiently to provide that service. Online and kiosks also provide a, a big portion of our customer service as well and obviously is something that people are increasingly interested in performing their transactions outside the branch office. The last 18 months, although it's certainly been challenging, it's also given us an opportunity to look again at how we do things and find creative ways uh, to make those services even more convenient. We'd really like to thank the legislature because there were some things that we had to change statute for. Um, in particular, uh, prior to July 1st, you were required required to renew or you could only renew six months in advance of your license expiration date that has been extended you can now renew your license up to a year um, before your license expired that's a benefit for our military college students out of state um, other individuals that may be traveling it makes it much more convenient for them we also required a photo every other renewal period. Um, even if you came in in between your renewal period to get a duplicate or corrected license, you had a photo taken at that time. That didn't count in terms of you being able to renew alternatively the next time. We've now changed that statute so that photo that you take during that eight-year period will also count, so that'll allow more people to do their transactions online. And the third thing that we did was related to your vision certification. Most people know over 40, you have to have that vision test every time you renew. That previously was only good for a year. A lot of people go to their eye doctor. They can submit it electronically or they can sign the form for you. Um, that is now good for two years as opposed to the 12 months it was previously. So again, it's all about making it more convenient, allowing more customers to do services online. In fact, from March through August of this year, compared to the same time in 2019, we had a 45% increase in online services. In many ways, that was made possible by our Customer Connect IT modernization projects. So our first phase was completed in July of last year. 
Our next phase that's coming up, including our driver licensing service, will be done in December of this year. So full deployment, that'll allow even more online services as well as what we like to call the 360 view of the customer. So any transaction you might need to complete, um, the customer can pull up their information through their online account as well as us have the ability to provide an additional level of customer service for them, including real-time updates and um, the ability to have that single portal view of what is happening. We also are excited about the change we're making from a security perspective. So right now you have something called a Soundex. You might call it your driver's license number. It's an algorithm made up of your uh, first letter of your last name and your date of birth. Um, unfortunately, there are websites out there that try to simulate what that might be because it is an algorithm. Um, we are going to a uh, generated number that will be random and will not be able to be um, randomly or, or determined by other individuals and so um, that security is important because when your driver's license numbers are obviously used for a lot of other things in addition to MBA services so we want our customers to feel secure about that. Also with Customer Connect for our commercial driver's license holders they'll be able to hold their license for eight years as opposed to five years for non-commercial that's been in place for many years but under our existing system did not have the ability to do that but that will move forward with Customer Connect. We are still working hard on Real ID compliance. I know that's something we've talked about a lot over the last several years. I'm proud to say that Maryland is currently at 82% compliant, so we lead the nation in terms of our residents and the actions they've taken there. DHS has moved that deadline out because of the pandemic, so the new deadline's not till May of 2023, but again, we're really in good shape with regard to the number of individuals who've already taken advantage of that service. We also remain committed to highway safety and making sure we reach that goal of zero fatalities in partnership with our local jurisdictions. Um, unfortunately, as has been mentioned already, despite the fact that uh, traffic on the roadway was down as much as 50%, we still saw that dangerous driving behavior and um, the highest number of fatalities since 2008. So obviously very concerning to us, especially the dangerous behavior we saw. I know we even saw some dangerous behavior on the Bay Bridge when people just doing things that you know shouldn't be done anywhere on a highway, um, much less on, on the Bay Bridge. Um, part of that solution is some of the Maryland Highway Safety Office funding Governor Hogan announced last month, in particular with the Sheriff's Office and our partnership there to do some enforcement through overtime dollars that were provided. Our Highway Safety Office also does educational campaigns, in particular for the first time we've done this overarching campaign called Be the Driver. So you'll see on some of the billboards on, on 50 that messaging, whether it's distracted driving or speeding, aggressive driving, you know, really trying to have that overarching campaign to remind all of us, frankly, when we get behind the wheel that, that we have that ability to control what we do and, and our safety as well as the individuals on the roadway. We strive to be the best in everything we do, whether it's highway safety or whether it's customer service, and really want to take a moment to commend our employees who not only you know, make some of those great suggestions that I mentioned earlier on to make our services more efficient, but over the last several years have really been on the front lines of delivering customer service in a very challenging environment and so proud of the job they do every day to serve Maryland residents. So thank you for your time, I appreciate it, and I'm now gonna turn it over to Ashish Shalanki from the Maryland Aviation Administration. Good afternoon, commissioners, delegation, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure to be with you all this afternoon. Uh, 
throughout the pandemic, uh, we have uh, collaborated with state and federal leaders and public health officials in partners to ensure the safe, healthy airports for our customers and our constituents, both at BWI Marshall as well as Martin State Airports. Our airport communities remain focused on providing healthy and safe travel. The strong recovery that we have experienced reflects the confidence that our customers feel with the safe, comfortable environment and the services that they receive. In fact, the recovery at BWI Marshall Airport leads the region, metropolitan region, with growing passenger traffic and new air service. I am particularly proud of the work that our employees during the pandemic and the fact that the BWI Marshall Airport was named a top North American airport in its size in the 2020 Airport Services Quality Awards. This ASQ program recognizes global airports for delivery of the best customer service as measured by our passengers. To receive this honor during the pandemic, the, one of our most challenging times in our history, was a remarkable achievement, not just for us at the MAA, but also for our partners and airlines. Throughout the pandemic, we continue to innovate and provide new services and amenities for our passengers, like the $48 million five-passenger, excuse me, five-gate extension to Concourse A that offers new food, retail concessions, upgraded restrooms, and more capacity for Southwest Airlines, our, current, our largest airlines at the airport. Also, our new state-of-the-art electric vehicle charging stations, which are an important collaboration with BGE, helps to boost the charging infrastructure in our region. Moving forward on the capital program, we remain focused on improving facilities and services, and uh, services for our customers while providing opportunities for domestic and international air service. System preservation and resiliency are a major focus for our MAA capital program. Driven by the need to provide exceptional service to our customers in the safest and most reliable, efficient manner, system preservation projects include airport-wide restroom renovations, fuel storage replacement and enhancements, electrical feeder replacements, airfield lighting vault upgrades, and passenger boarding bridge replacements. Additionally, as the designated reliever, general aviation reliever to BWI Marshall, improving facilities at our Martin State Airport is a key uh, component to maintaining safe and efficient regional aviation system, servicing the needs and balancing the operational requirements of not just our commercial needs, but our corporate, personal, emergency response, as well as our military aircraft operators. After a short pause due to the pandemic, we are moving forward with a major multi-year terminal improvement program with Southwest Airlines, the largest airline at the airport. The Concourse AB connector baggage handling system, as mentioned earlier by Secretary Slater, will transform a major portion of our airport, creating an enhanced travel experience for passengers and supporting future growth for this airline. The improvements include direct concourse to concourse connectivity, new food and retail concessions, modern restrooms, and expanded airline hold rooms. All of this will sit on top of the brand new state-of-the-art sophisticated baggage handling system. This large-scale project will be largely funded by airport revenue bonds, which we issued for the first time ever this past summer. And as our CFO likes to add, the bond issuance was well received by both rating agencies and investors. 
We also are moving forward on major site, per, uh, excuse me, preparation and utility work that will support construction of a major aircraft maintenance base for Southwest Airlines. This is the first such maintenance base for Southwest in the Northeast Corridor. MAA will continue to support aviation projects across the state in partnership with our 35 public use airports, including the two airports you have here, both at Bay Bridge Airport as well as Kentmore Air Park. For the statewide aviation grant program that provides important state funding and support for improvements, MAA intends to provide grants of 1.6 million in state fiscal year 22 for our regional airports. Specifically at Kentmore Air Park this year, we're providing $152,000 in state aviation grant assistance for stormwater drainage improvements. As the global aviation industry continues to recover and rebound, Across MAA, we are working to provide the excellent service our customers are looking to. We remain committed and to excellent service and convenience for our customers, both at BWI Marshall, Martin State, and I'll add the regional airports across our state. Now it's my pleasure to turn it back to Secretary Slater. Great. Thank you, Ashish, and uh, thank you to the whole team for their great updates. So I'll now turn it back over to the Commission President and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Any questions? That's our senator. Does the delegation want to speak? Questions? Um, I, I'll just real quickly just say thank you. Um, come on up. Uh, come on, come on. Hey, Greg. <laughs> we have, uh, this is the third of the CTPs that uh, the delegation has gone through with uh, uh, Secretary Slater and his team. and. Um, each one of them are very informative and, and able to, to highlight on some of the issues that are very specific into the county that they're talking about. So uh, we, we very much appreciate that. Um, we've had some questions previous before, but I think obviously one of the big things that continues to come up mostly in Queen Anne's County deals a lot with the, with the Bay Bridge. Uh, Secretary talked about the, I don't remember the acronym anymore, but the automatic lane closure mm -hmm. something the, system. The gate system. Gate mm -hmm. system um, that uh, you expected to be online. Uh, I guess next year, uh, beginning of next year. Um, biggest issue, again, we'd like to hear a little bit more about was the, um, the Bay Bridge crossing study, mm -hmm. where we are with the, the NEPA that has seemed to have gotten delayed a little bit, but I think uh, Executive Ports said that we would see something um, end of this year, beginning of next year, but just really wanted to hear what that specifically, what, what was that the final NEPA one, and then what the next steps were. I think a lot of uh, people listening would probably like to hear that as as well. Too. Sure, absolutely. Let me take a shot at it and see if Executive Director reports are here as well. Wants to kind of fill in, but uh, we are expecting we're on target for a record decision in the winter. Uh, you know, so it could be end of 2021, beginning of 2022. Uh, at that point, we'll know really what that tier one record of decision looks like and be able to make a decision on. Uh, where to go with tier two and I know uh, building consensus between the counties has been a big part of our efforts and a uh, big part of how we kind of move forward so Let me follow then tier tier one then will identify the final solution No tier one will identify a corridor tier two will identify the solution Okay, and so this is the one that that they had the the map that had the 14 different corridors I believe right. it had been narrowed down that this part of the study went to four corridors, mm -hmm. three corridors. And a no bill. Three plus no bill. Three plus no bill, correct, was always an option. Four options. Um, four options. So this 
what we will see at the end of uh, this winter will be <laughs> go back to it. a comparison of the one option and a no build option is that what we'll see? you yeah. always have to have the no build correct. comparison right. by law right correct so so the way it works is a lot of times you don't have to do two tiers okay um nice bridge for example there's no other place a nice bridge is going to go except right next to the nice bridge you're not going to pick another corridor so the reason you do a tier one why wouldn't you pick another corridor there why is there no other place for it to go because it's the connection between charles county and virginia and it's the best place for it to go well i i, I don't argue that it's the best place but it's not yeah I mean, they could have put it a mile up river, a mile down. Oh yeah, I guess they could have, but I'm, it, it I mean, made more sense to do it right next to it, sort of like you did most of the bridges along the eastern shore going down to Ocean City. Almost every one of them is right next to the other one, right? And then they use the, the other parts for fishing piers. It's a similar situation. In this, the other thing, Jim, it's important recognize for a project like the nice bridge that's purely a system preservation type of an effort we have a bridge that's coming to the end of its useful life it's not seeing the, the significant traffic old. issues that we see here on the nice bridge it's just replacing an old bridge with a new bridge mm -hmm. so you go through a tier one mm -hmm. to look at all the other alternatives that, that might be possible because people ask us to look south they ask us to look north and so so that that's why the tier one is done and then we, as you mentioned, we narrow it from 14 mm -hmm. potential locations to three plus no build. What, what the end of this, after all the public hearings, both virtual and in, in, in person, what occurs is you have a selected corridor alternative. So you go from three to one. Now, it's a two mile swath because environmentally they got to look at at that mm -hmm. and they want to make sure that they can look at how to protect like Sandy Point Park and these other other uh, sensitive areas. So then what happens is we end up with a final environmental impact statement and the feds because it's a federal process everybody has to understand it's a federal process not our process they come up with the record of decision. And that record of decision we expect, like we said, end of this year, beginning of next year, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Fed said right around March 14th, it, March 14th, I'm getting a thumbs up from my right, planner, right. Uh, <laughs> right. who does this for a living, right? Um, so she teaches me, I, I, I uh, mm -hmm. talk about what she tells me. Mm -hmm. So we believe it's going to be March 14th is, is the uh, projected date at this point. Okay, so at that point, we will have then that single corridor. What is the next step? So then, uh, then we would have to uh, identify funding for a potential tier two study. A tier two study. So many people have talked to me, they, they hear about what's going on in Washington, D.C. with infrastructure bills. Now, whether there's infrastructure in those bills or not, we remains they to be seen. <laughs> But is, is the Bay, do we know if at all, is the Bay Bridge being talked about in federal terms of infrastructure? I don't believe so, because, you're, because we don't even have a record of decision yet from the federal government, so they, they probably won't even entertain it at this point. They're looking for shovel-ready, right, projects. That you've heard that term, right. I knew, several times. Mm -hmm. And so they're looking for things that have, you know, 
gone through most of the processes and 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 are ready to construct right. because that's what infrastructure is all about it's about implementing those and so once we have this record of decision in March then the second phase or NEPA uh, second phase of the NEPA takes place timing of that so um, so again we had to wait for the record of decision mm -hmm. okay and that's that's really the key. That's going to determine um, where it's going to be and, and how we need to proceed at that point, okay? So we don't know all the parameters at, at this time. Um, but like I said, we would have to identify funding uh, to go to a potential tier two study. <clears throat> and that study could take you know, four to five years, and most of it, so, most of it is environmental impacts is what, is right. what takes so, me, so long. Let me ask, because again, I hear there's a lot of talk about transportation projects in, in Maryland. Obviously, the uh, Washington, D.C. corridor is talking about a massive transportation project. Those types of projects are funded the same way or differently than these are? That's private. That's private because they've it's they've P, elected to go to a, a P3. It's a P3. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's completely different. As far as the funding for the NEPA study and anything that's necessary for that, the private entities are doing that as well? No. The private the state is funding the NEPA studies independently okay. for those roadways in the DC region. So we will do a procurement. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. But I'm we're still in the NEPA. So so when we come to we have to get funding for a NEPA study. Where are the people that want to see something happen that with us going to ask for money for that NEPA study? To I be think performed? they're in this room. <laughs> I know where the people that are going to ask, where, are the, where is the money going to come from? Well, the money would... would uh, I mean, where did the money come from for the, for the, the Washington, D.C. NEPA studies? So the, the Washington, D.C. NEPA studies would come from uh, the Transportation Trust Fund. Okay. Uh, the MDTA facilities are self-funded through the Maryland Transportation Authority budget. Mm -hmm. So they would have to come from the MDTA funding for that. Yeah, so the way that would work is uh, we get to the end of this Tier 1. We start to get kind of where that is and what that direction is. And uh, Jim and Melissa and their team will come in and present that to the MDTA board. And, uh, and we'll start to figure out what's, what's the next steps and have that discussion about what the next steps are. In my mind, I think the, the, the best course of action for this project is to think about that Tier 2, but think about how much you want to go into Tier 2. I think, you know, if I had to develop a recommendation with where we are now, I think the process, you want to keep that moving. But I would argue that this is the kind of project that the engineering is pretty complex. So you want to overlap a little bit of that preliminary engineering with your Tier 2 NEPA process get it to that 30%, which is where the feds are seeing that shovel ready. You can start to get permits in place, those types of things. And then that way, if uh, an infrastructure, another infrastructure bill or something like that comes out and you have different tools, uh, you know, Jim referenced the, the, the private sector. Now, you know, there are some of the tools that the private sector is using are tools that we may want to elect to use in the construction of the Bay Bridge in the future. Mm -hmm. No interest loans through TIFIA, those, you know, those types of things. Uh, and the infrastructure banks that, that could be available. It helps that the secretary is a planning has a planning background. <laughs> okay, I, I appreciate it. I don't want to go to too much of the details, but I do know that we are coming to that decision point in March. Legislators will be in session at that time. 
I've had legislation in before that had to deal with some funding for NEPA studies, as you're aware. Um, so I just want to make sure that we are on board to, yeah. to help out, again, the way that the commissioners help direct us as well, too, and, and what needs to be. To, to and, of course, you know the CTP process, so mm -hmm. April 1st is the priority letter, so we'll be right back at it mm -hmm. again yeah. uh, with our prior this, the county's priorities. Yeah. Right. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to, to one, see you guys and, and, and ask some questions. That I, well, colleagues will do the same, but thank you very much. Thank you, Senator. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, commissioners, thanks for giving us the opportunity to speak. Um, kind of to what the Senator was talking about, um, I've been in politics now for about almost 12 years, and this has been at the forefront. And I guess I'm looking for some help from you all to help us. How do we put this and expedite this process and make it a, a super priority? We've seen some big major projects in the state move forward very quickly. And I understand there's some issues with that and how that all happens. But how do we work within the state to really motivate and move the state along, along with how do we motivate our federal partners? And is there a process that we could actually put through on this? Uh, you know, the big point here, guys, is you, you, you don't see the stuff we live through every weekend. You feel it a little bit, but you don't live it every weekend. And we I are. get the emails and, and the phone calls. Well, you yeah. get the emails, but I get, <laughs> I get in my face, and that's a little hard for me to take. And, and when you're sitting there asking these questions and getting these questions, they're always saying, well, how is it that Montgomery County's turning down dollars? And we can't get them. So is there a way or a methodology, legislation that we could put in to help expedite this? Sure, and, and let me give kind of my perspective on it at first. I think it's um, it's really twofold. Um, one is here locally, and when I say here locally, it's really kind of the state uh, continuing to focus on keeping the process moving. There are parts of this process that we can expedite, and there are parts that we can't. Um, you know, I wish I could get you know some of the federal process to be mm. a little smoother or a little more kind of friendly, but. Uh, that's more challenging for us. Uh, however, uh, we have shown that we have the ability to move some things under certain processes if we get them in the right uh, envelope. So we need to keep that going. So, you know, the key for us right now is to focus on getting to that tier one and getting into tier two, keeping that process going. Uh, on the infrastructure side, on the federal side, you know, we're going to be, you know, when, when it comes time to cross that bridge I tried to find it oh wow yeah come on when it when it comes time to be there um, we're gonna have to be looking at you know where we are in terms of our debt limits and what we can afford and when we can afford it and how that cash flow works um, but those big infrastructure projects we will very likely need some federal help at some point to help us get there sooner. So I think that's a big part of that conversation. That's my question, well. though. Is there something we can get that we can put in this year to, to help you get to that point, to get to that point? Because we will be dealing with our federal partners come January in our mm -hmm. Eastern Shore delegation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think after we get the record of decision, then that would be mm -hmm. the time to start that. But, but let me go back to, to what Senator Hersey said a little while ago. He talked about a delay, right? And, and I'm just giving this as an example of, of how it's a federal process, not a state process, and it's kind of out of our hands. We're, we're trying to push the envelope. So, so when we had had public meetings scheduled uh, back in November, December, okay? And you might recall that that's when the second I guess wave of COVID started hitting again, and mm -hmm. and 
and we use public libraries as our source to put all of our information for public assessment and stuff and and we also use you know schools or community centers for for the public meetings <clears throat> so we had all that scheduled second wave comes in and Anne Arundel County closes her their libraries a lot of their buildings were closed they weren't allowing big groups to get together it was nearly impossible to have a public in-person public meeting so we asked the federal government to speed the process along if we could have virtual meetings and at first they said yes and we're like great we'll schedule the virtual meetings and we did that and then we got the call and said you can't do virtual meetings you must have in-person meetings and we're like I, I, I get we that. Can't we have, need, no, we need I, to know I, if there's something we can do to expedite that. I understand, Steve, about. but I'm just what I'm trying to explain is we will help you try to move the process along. It's not our process, so it's not always in our control. Okay. All right. Good with that. <clears throat> last question was um, with all the things we just found out about Easy Pass. Mm -hmm. I missed a meeting last week. Can you tell somebody or anybody here how we rectify that situation sure. and how do how do I if I'm a victim of that how do I get my money? A victim of of the Easy Pass issue, where you overcharged the the, the challenge we had with the um, the accelerators and the treadles. Yeah. yeah. So, so first of all, the, well, the one with the axle treadle, everybody got reimbursed. Okay. Um, the problem with that one was that the treadle was double counting. Okay. We have algorithms that we look at. You know, when we see that everybody's counted as a truck we know that doesn't happen in any lane we notified the vendor immediately they shut down the lane immediately uh and it was about five hours and then and then we went back and we reimbursed all the customers it's in the it's in the audit that, we the audit that everybody them. believes because it came out in the newspaper oh. everybody's out there checking their easy pass so they, need to <laughs> <laughs> they should and certainly you know if they check their easy pass and, and find a discrepancy contact us and we will work and, with them to but there's them. nobody regular we, person to go to so, easy pass so we have so we have we have processes in place and there were some other anomalies so so one of the other anomalies is you know uh uh in the transition we had two different vendors on the on the different lanes so so what we have in place and and the we told the auditors this what we have in place is a system where if it sees a double count, it gets picked up on the software on the other end, and we remove the one account, okay? So we have processes in place, but when there were two different vendors, that didn't work. And so what we did is we went back, and we looked at those, and we reimbursed those customers. Anytime we so find- So everybody is whole at this point, you're saying that? Uh, no, because some of the people were, some of them, because anomalies happen, you know, anytime, some of them were still researching to make sure that we find all the customers and then we'll continue to reimburse them. So I don't want to say every single person's whole at this time because we're still reimbursing okay, some You're now. taking care of that on your end. I don't have to right, take care of it. That's right, what I'm trying right. to get at. Yeah. That's what I'm getting yeah. at with. Mm -hmm. I have to go through my record. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate the time. Uh -huh. Sure. Either of Thank you very much. And thank you, commissioners and Mr. Secretary, Mr. Ports. 
I asked the question up in Cecil County about the um, about the delay in uh, in the uh, billing, mm -hmm. and backlog. I think uh, yeah the backlog, and I think that it would be pertinent to uh, if you could explain that here in Queen Anne's because you know we got a lot of bridge riders here that are under the same scenario, and uh, that's some of my constituents in this area expressed that same question of they haven't received a bill in six months. Sure. <clears throat> is basically what what the question was. <clears throat> And I uh, thought Mr. Porce did a great job up in Cecil, but I think you should let us know here in Queen Anne's. Okay, no, I'd be happy. Uh, thank you for that. So, so as I mentioned, um, when COVID hit, nobody was expecting that. Obviously, it's hundred year, uh, hundred year uh, disease, and so, so we immediately had to go to electronic tolling, and that was partially to to protect our toll collectors because we didn't want them catching this invisible disease and we didn't want them spreading it because as you may recall, they said that you can pass it along on any kind of surface. So if you're giving change back or dollar bills back, you can pass along and everybody would be impacted with this disease. So again, we weren't anticipating that obviously. And so we had to go to all electronic tolling. When that occurred, you might recall that the governor and comptroller and many people in the House of Delegates and Senate and all were saying, you know, what can we do to help protect people that are out of their job, you know, losing their job or losing hours in their job? Because, you know, a lot of people were impacted and getting laid off during COVID. And so the governor, you, you may recall, was asking for car dealerships to minimize the payments and work with people. Uh, if you were renting homes or something, work with the people. They were asking banks to, to loosen up on the mortgage uh, bills and stuff to help people not fall deeply into debt and lose their home or their car. So um, obviously the governor being a good leader, he also asked parts of state government to do the same thing. And so what we did is we paused uh, the video tolls. Uh, because we can't tell, you know, if you lost your job or not, but we can pause the toll. And, <clears throat> and so we did uh, to help a lot of those individuals uh, who may be impacted with job losses. And it was also kind of the perfect storm because we were also transitioning from a vendor that we had for 15 years to a new vendor. And so the part about pausing the, the, the bills and then transitioning because one vendor we had to stop and then all that information had to be turned over to the other vendor, that caused a delay. And so, um, you know, we're working that delay down now. Now, I will say that in most cases, you know, I think I mentioned the other day that you go to a furniture store, big purchase, right? And the furniture store says, hey, come on in, buy now, and you don't have to make any payments and no interest for a year. And we look at that as a plus, as an advantage to us, because we don't have to make payments for a year, we get interest free for a year. That's exactly what we have in this situation. Uh, we pause the bill, no bill for, well, about eight months, and no interest 
impact. So, um, but just like the furniture store or the, or the auto purchase, the bill comes due at some point and that's due now. Same with BG&E and all the other utilities and everything else that was paused. So that's where we are. So, <clears throat> you know, and that's part of the question is that, they, that these people are concerned they were gonna get, so my <clears throat> constituents would get this large bill. Mm -hmm. And I think the way you explained it, it would be a week, uh, a week of Correct. current charges and a week of past Correct. charges. Correct, thank you for reminding me of that, yes. So <clears throat> the vendor would like to get all this backlog completely done at all at one time, and we've been asked by the press, why aren't you doing it quicker? Well, the reason we're not doing it quicker is because we don't want our customers to get a really big bill. Uh, we, we, we want them to have a good customer experience, but we also want to get reimbursed for the payment. So what we're doing is we asked our vendor to give us, to give our customers a week of the current bills, if they're continuing to go through the tolls now, and a week of the backlog. So it's gonna take us longer to get our money, but that's okay, because the constituents get a better customer, customer experience. And then there's no penalty or interest on these back charges unless they don't pay their bill in the proper time frame. Correct, so, so that's correct. We don't, we're not hitting them with any kind of interest or charges or penalties or anything. So what happens is we'll mail them the NOTD they have 30 days to pay it, plus technically another 15. And then if they don't pay it within that time frame, then the penalties would kick in. But, but no, we won't, we won't hit anybody with a penalty. And I also uh, mention, I will mention that, that we also understand that the U.S. Postal Office has had some problems uh, getting, getting some bills out and getting uh, people their mail. So if there's a situation where you have an NOTD and it's, let's just say, 30 days late already because of the Postal Service, we will work with that constituent and we'll, 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 we'll waive the penalty. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sure. I wanted to mention early payment discounts as well if they pay online. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If they, um, great point. Thanks, Will. Um, so constituents can go online now and look at their bill and they can make an early payment and we give a discount. So we're trying to make it as customer friendly as we possibly can. Thank you. Sure. <clears throat> Thanks, Will. I don't have any questions, but uh, just some, some comments. Um, the state's budget between this, the um, operating and the capital budget's, what, 80 to 85 million dollars, or billion dollars, rather. And it arguably, uh, transportation funding is the most competitive in the budget. Uh, I think that most of us can probably agree to that. Um, and if we go back, this time eight years ago, there was change in the air. Um, now here we are today, there's change in the air. And I will say that Governor Hogan, um, when he was sworn into office, um, he made a commitment to roads and bridges, a strong commitment to roads and bridges. And he followed through with it. He spent a bunch of money on things that, these projects that were not sexy, replacing over, um, overpasses, repaving roads, widening roads, extending roads, the Nice Bridge, Dover Bridge, 404. Um, I mean, these were very, very expensive projects that quite frankly ticked off led, uh, urban and suburban legislators in Maryland so much that they passed land-breaking legislation. They completely revamped 
how construction projects are going to be funded. And he tilted it toward mass transit. They did. Um, they also changed legislation that basically says, you know what, the users of mass transit, well, well there's no, not, we, don't, we don't care how much their fares are going to pay toward the operating cost. We don't care about that. In fact, if they had their way, it would be free. And this happened during an administration that is fully committed to roads and bridges. And we also have a trust fund that should be dedicated to roads and bridges because of the users of this trust fund drive on roads and bridges, right? But they were very successful over the last, they being these urban and suburban legislators, were very successful in changing the laws to be able to, to siphon billions of dollars from the transportation trust fund from roads and bridges into um, mass transit. Changes in the air again. And I will encourage everyone, not just Queen Anne's County, everyone who lives in rural areas to ask those questions over the next 12 months because elections mean something. And this isn't a political statement. This is a statement about us representing rural areas because we saw what happened during an administration that was fully committed to rural areas. I can't imagine someone who's fully committed to mass transit, both in the executive branch. Uh, we, we could see three new members of the Board of Public Works. I have a feeling I know who's going to probably represent um, the, um, uh, the comptroller's office. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't know the governor's office, but changes in the air, folks. And we have a lot of very, very critical, from us being on the Eastern Shore, we have a lot of critical questions to ask a lot of these candidates over the next several months because things could change very quickly for us. Um, and, and we have to make sure, um, because you know, we, every year that these guys come in here, we, we're, we want, you know, we, we want Y Mills, we want an overpass there, we want an overpass, um, you know, at the end of 404, we want widening, um, you know, of, of Route 50. We want to fix this issue on, on Kent Island. We want a new bridge. I mean, all this stuff costs money. Um, but I know that we're very concerned. And, and Jim, you know, no one's fought harder than this team right here mm -hmm. um, to, to try to, to, to keep that money in the rural areas. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, we, we, we're the minority um, and in our arguments. And we work very closely. Um, and these guys have been very, very helpful for us. Um, but I would encourage everyone you talk to to ask those critical questions of every single candidate that comes into Queen Anne's County. Are you committed to funding rural infrastructure projects? Are you, and hopefully they're going to be honest with you. So, thank you, guys. Ooh. All right. Any, Since we got any, through the delegation. Yeah, I, any I, questions from? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, I guess uh, I, I, got, I think I'm confused about one of your comments. Uh, the nice bridge, did that go through the NEPA process? Yeah. It went through phase one and phase two? Yeah. Okay, so. As I said, because we weren't putting it someplace else, we didn't have to do two phases. We had to do two tiers. But you had to do phase one? Yeah, of course. So if this bridge, the Bay Bridge, comes back in phase one as it's going right where it is now, then we don't have to do phase two? Yeah. So this one we still have to do phase two, but the other one we don't Correct. have to do phase two? Correct. Why I, is that? I, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't put it into tier one, tier two with the nice bridge. It might have just been a tier two, for example. I'd have to ask my planner. We, for, the, for the nice bridge, we did not do a tiered process. We just did a straight NEPA process. Straight NEPA. Okay. Well, come on up here. I guess I, I, and the, I got, just so, because it gets confusing when you talk about these yeah. NEPAs. So you're, That's you're why saying, I got to bring the expert up. Understood. understood. <laughs> so phase, 
So how did you do the nice bridge? With the nice bridge, we knew the goal of the project was replacing the existing infrastructure okay. that was aging. Okay. And that was at the end of its okay. year. So, the so hold, its hold that thought. Yes. These bridges are past their life cycles. They're aging and we, we want to replace them. So why can't we do it the same way we did it at the nice bridge? These bridges are not structurally efficient. They're functionally obsolete. So, so they're, they're not, not they're, there's more traffic on them than they can handle. But condition wise, those bridges are structurally, are structurally sound. The right nice now. bridge was at the end of its useful life. It was, it, it was a structural issue. When you're looking at a project like the Bay Bridges, and there is so much interest in moving the location, mm -hmm. by doing a tiered process, essentially tier one, we lock in the location, mm -hmm. which is that two-mile corridor. The, the thought of, let's go put it uh, far north or far south, that door is closed. Tier one will lock in the corridor. And at that point, we lock that, and we start the next step, which is the detailed NEPA. We're talking boots on the ground, doing wetland studies, and things like Scuba that diving. in that too. Yeah, that well, too. In okay. that corridor. Right. So, so if one of these bridges was structurally insufficient, what would we be doing right now? So let me let me touch this a little bit. I think what you're what you're trying to understand is: Are we doing a process that takes longer? Yes. Or not? So the tiered process doesn't necessarily take longer. It streamlines the front end of the NEPA process. We did a non-tiered process on the Thomas Johnson Bridge down by Pax River Naval Brace. It took 10 years. We were replacing an existing bridge with an existing bridge. It took us 10 years, mm -hmm. just based on changing federal guidelines as they go along. What the tiered process does, it allows you to streamline the front end so that we've agreed on a corridor. Now let's talk details so that when we're talking details, we're not getting pulled in other directions to say, why don't we put it there or why don't we put it there? It's getting to that first step in locking. Right. And getting a locked decision. Okay. which actually allows us to move forward at a much better cost, mm -hmm. much more expeditiously, and it actually helps the process move forward quicker. An, an example I would like to give, if you don't mind, the, um, the I-95 corridor in Baltimore, we did a master plan study, which is very similar to a tier one, tier two study. And folks said, oh, a master plan, what are you, what are you taking all that time? It took us two years. We looked at the entire 50-mile corridor of I-95 owned by the authority, and by putting that, doing that master plan, we locked so many of the preliminary decisions that when we started working on the individual projects, we were able to crank them out in two years. It allowed us to move faster when we got to the, the more detailed NEPA study. So it might seem like it takes longer, but it actually helps secure the process so you can move forward more expeditiously. Okay, so. Who funded phase one of the NEPA for the, the bridge crossing? MDTA. I thought the MDTA. governor didn't put any money into this? MDTA. So it was all his... We're, we're self-funded by tolls, period. We, okay, we're so a that, special fund. Okay. We don't get any money from MDI. Okay, so, so you, that's funds. why the, the phase two of the NEPA is not in the CTP. Because, that's correct. So it comes, it comes that, from your tolling only. So, so... Okay, but we, we talked about this last year, I believe. You won't see it in the CTP until we have a record of decision. Okay, so. We have to get the okay from the feds before we start moving forward. And part of that is keeping, let, let's, let's just give you a, another example. We cannot start the process of a tier two, for example, because if we were to do that, 
we could get no funding from the federal government for that money spent. And it, it's sort of like your projects. If you move forward too quickly and it's got federal funds involved, you can't get reimbursed for those federal funds. And so we need to follow the federal process. Well, I, I, um, I get that. Okay, so March, you're going to get a decision. We believe. We believe. We believe. We March, believe you're get a decision on Crystal Ball. Correct. So phase two. Broken. So March fifteenth, you get a decision. April first. When? When do? How does? How do we get this? <laughs> our whole job up here now is to get this done as quickly as possible, because that's the only way it's going to resolve this issue. So with that being said, how do we know that that that? MBTA is serious about this. How do we know that you're going to move forward or be directed to move forward? That's that's our question. How do we how do we get to that point where we know, you know, because again, I hear I hear this well, you know, then we go to phase two and we, we oh, how, no, how are we going to fund it? You have yeah, you have to fund phase two first. Right. And, so and I understand it funding. comes to you because I know a year ago we were talking <coughs> about westbound tolls and dynamic tolling to fund phase two of the NEPA, to, yeah. to have a funding source. So so let me, let me say it like this. And you may have heard me say this the other night at Broadneck. Mm -hmm. Back in 2006, the previous administration did a study. Mm -hmm. And they determined that we'd be at 100,000 people mm -hmm. during prime time, summertime, yep. this year. And they were right. Even back in 2006, they did that, right? I would suggest that they probably should have started this process back then. Okay? No argument. So there. when you ask if we're serious, this is the first governor that is serious and actually funded, we funded for the governor, a tier one study. I don't think you have to ask if we're serious or not. We're the first ones to do it. That is correct. Okay. Let's, let's frame it in a different way. April 1st, if, we, if you come out with a commitment, here's how we're moving and we're starting phase two of the NEPA, away we go. If it drags out past the elections and somebody gets elected, oh, yeah. like Delegate Grice says, it's not interested in that bridge, and they tell you, stand down. Yeah. Right? That's once, true. You, once you start, can the next I governor stop? I probably won't be here, but yeah. <laughs> once you start the second phase of the NEPA, can the next governor stop it? That is my question. Um. So I would suggest that if we do start this, mm -hmm. it would be difficult for the next governor to stop. Don't say if, say when. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, can't, I can't say that until I have a record of decision. Okay. So you can't, in my position, I can't say what you're asking me to say. Okay. Just because of the law. <laughs> Come March 15th, I'll be looking for you. <laughs> Do that. All right. I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, I mean, that's the bottom line is, is, you know, Queen Anne's County, Anne Arundel County, you know, we're trying to work together. We're trying to give everything we humanly can to get this process up and running to alleviate the issues. But you guys hold the cards close to your chest, and I get it. You know, you know Tim, or I'm sorry, Commissioner Moran. Um, I don't, I don't think you have to ask about our commitment because, quite frankly, you know, I've been here just a little over two years in this position, and you know I inherited the, the redecking project. It was a two-year project. Um, through negotiations with the governor, our consultants, 
our developer, myself, we got that done in one year. We also are the first administration to remove the toll booths, which you know, does not alleviate the volume problem that we have, but it does help the queuing that occurred quicker because of the toll booths. And then, of course, we, they've been doing barrels and cones since the beginning of time. And, um, and we are the first administration to come up with an automated gate system. So I think that when you look at our record, and, and we're the first administration to start the tier one study, even though studies were done back as far as 2006. So I think if you look at our record of accelerating the, the redecking, accelerating the toll booth removal, accelerating the gate project, including an emergency procurement, I think we have a pretty darn good record. So I'll take that as, as a yes. Um, I think we have a pretty darn March good commitment. I think we have a phase darn good record of commitment. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's all. I mean, I, well, like I, I, we've said in the past, we just want some hope. Got to see light at the end of the tunnel. So you're saying, yeah, I'm pretty sure that phase two of the NEPA is going to get funded and we're going to move forward. Then okay, no I'm not saying that. I know you're not saying that. But I'm hearing that. Okay, okay. So that's you can what I'm hear hearing. whatever so, you want to hear. Okay, I'm I mean, saying, I mean that's, I'm saying we have been committed, and you heard this from Delegate Christ. I think you see this administration has been very committed, absolutely, to 100%. rural Maryland. Hundred percent. That commitment is not going to end while I am here. Okay. Now, I might not be here in the next administration. <laughs> probably we won't. might not be here either. Probably, so. probably yeah. won't. We'll right. definitely not be here in the next administration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so all, I can, all I can vouch for is my commitment, Governor Hogan's commitment, Greg Slater's commitment. Okay. Our whole team, MDTA team is what I'm talking about, commitment to this area, and I think we have a good record. Okay, so is there federal funding for the Nice Bridge? There's federal loans. Loans, loans. okay. For There's, construction. I mean, we, because... We do not get federal funding. Right. Because we are totally funded by tolls. However, as Secretary Slater just mentioned, we are looking at a TIFIA loan. So not transportation trust fund money. Right. Federal loans, you have to follow federal process. But and we federal, have to pay it back. What's if, and the federal, what's if the federal government came and said, we'll give you $3 billion. You'll take well, it. We go ask them. Okay. All right. Just want to, want to just yeah. make sure we about that. We do it all the time. Because I've always been told, I've always been told that That's why in order for this project to get done, it has to be the state's number one priority because of the amount of money that's in this project. We can, we can Is that right? Well, I mean, you uh, understand the phase two of the NEPA, sure. you have to have a funding source. And the funding source isn't just for the NEPA, is it not for the entire project? Yeah, so you get through, you know, I'm trying to understand kind of the context of it's got to be the state's number one priority. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have priorities all over the state. Correct. But, but I mean, investing in this, we so by way of process, so you go to tier one, we go to tier two, mm -hmm. and we go into uh, design. 
uh, we go into kind of right of way, whether there's utility work, right, pre-construction right, right, work right. that would need to be done. Mm -hmm. And so when you get towards the end of tier two mm -hmm. and you start getting into those design phases and really have a solid understanding of impacts and utilities and any right of way on approaches and those types of things, permitting issues that you would need to do, then you really start looking at on a project of this size, what are our options in terms of paying for construction? Because what Jim referenced on the front end of, if we don't follow certain processes, we can't get reimbursed on, on the federal front. The same thing is on the, on the other end of that. If the feds make an investment in some of those pre-development activities, they want you to fund a subsequent phase or you have to pay that back. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, you get both ends of that. So, you know, for instance, if we spend three or four years in federal dollars and invest in, in pre-development work, and then when project sits on the shelf, the feds want their money back because mm -hmm. they want to know that if they're investing in that pre-development work, that you're going to fund construction and somebody's actually going to see an improvement from that. But I guess I, I guess maybe I'm, I guess what I'm asking is in, in phase two of the NEPA, mm -hmm. do you have to show the powers of be that the federal government, your funding source for the entire project? And how are you going to fund it? Is that part of the phase two? Is part that of phase two at is some showing point. a financial plan. Okay. It needs to be completed by the end. Yes, yeah, at the, some of, point. Of okay, phase good. Two. Phase two. You have to have okay, a financial good. Plan. Okay. So you would have sure. to have a financial plan approved. Okay, good. By the end. By the end. Okay. So that, that's the important part because as we're going Because we don't through, even know what it's going to look like right. yet. Understand. We have to know what we're funding. we got to know what we're funding is first. Is it Is Well, and now, I mean, the only other thing I have to say about the bridge, because I don't believe that. Oh, well, <laughs> only other thing I'd say about the bridge right now is you still need to do something about those truckers. They're they're in that center lane and they're in that left lane, and and I don't know how you're going to do it, but you you, you need. It. I mean, I wrote I, I meant to pull my phone out and videotape the other day, but I said I better not. Oh, so. not while you're would. driving. Yeah. Not while you're driving. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's done it before. Um, anyway, only for you. I, I did. I did. We did increase. We did increase the signage. I'm just, that's what I'm just saying. There's and and. We had the variable signs, yeah. but we also had officers out there giving tickets right. and in some cases warnings. Mm -hmm. um, we can step it back up again. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like uh, speeding. Right. You know, when you see a police officer on the side of the road, right. you slow down and then after you pass them, you speed up, right? Yep. Um, that's what happens in a lot of cases. I see it every day. but. You know, it's the same thing that happens with these truckers. We got to stay on them. Yeah, that's all. Just I mean, increase signs. We'll, we'll look now, at now, it again. Now I'm going to give you a couple of attaboys, and don't get all warm and fuzzy with me. <laughs> oh, I know better. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I mean, I, I will say the messaging is working. Good. The messaging, the emails, the message boards are working. There's been at least four times when there was over seven mile backups that I've driven to 18 all the way out to Love Point Road with no backups. So the messaging is working, and, and I honestly think you need to step that messaging up on the western shore to help Anne Arundel County out because the messaging is working. I'm hoping we can get another message board up before you get to Nesbitt westbound, telling people the time because that you know the time it takes to get to the bridge, depending on the backups, has been pretty much spot on. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can know, I say something on that? Sure. Um, so you know, you all had brought up the fact that Sandy Point. Uh, was a problem, especially when it's a capacity and people are still trying to get back there and then trying to turn down a 50. So I met with Jeannie Hathaway, the secretary of DNR, and, uh, and her folks. And so we've come up with a plan now that, that they are going to notify us about a half an hour to 40 minutes prior to when they're at capacity. So they're basically going to predict about when they're going to be at capacity. Right. And they're going to let us know. Right. We're going to put it on our message boards. 
We're going to put okay. it on, you know, Twitter and a social, other social media sites so that we drive people away before they get back there and have to turn around and come back out on 50. So it, it is not going to fix the whole problem, but it's going to help an, another tool in our toolbox to try and help alleviate some of that congestion. I mean, you know, the toll removal was a big one. I mean, that, that helped immensely with the uh, queuing and, and the speeds going across the bridge and the contraflow, the transition, meaning that, you know, the July 4th weekend, I think we had the Thursday was the thunderstorms, the travel day. Mm. And I know for a fact the contraflow once closed and opened four times. Yeah. Where in the past, once it closed, it, it stayed closed. Yeah. And, you know, the public notices that. So, I mean, you know, thank you for that. And, I mean, I'm looking forward to the gate system. I, I think it will help That's immensely. That's really help. So, you know, and, and I know that the eastbound side will be open by Memorial Day. So, you know, just like the, the paving, you know. I, it, anyway, so with that being said, I'm, I'm going to let Jim uh, leave here without too much scratches and cuts. But, uh, you know, I... As far as State Highway is concerned, uh, I talked to, talked to you last year about this. I know it was in video. You know, we are, we are trying to install some flashing yellow lights at a couple crosswalks. Well, here we are a year later, and they're still not done. And we're paying for them. So we're not even asking for money. We're just asking for, can somebody please move this process along? And our director of parks is back there. Steve is back there, Chanley. And I think that now, I think we're just finally hearing about it. But... A year is a long time. Let me see. I was happy to see where that is. Well, yeah, it just, I mean, I, sure. I think you need to know that, uh, you know, just from that state. And, you know, um, there was one other thing. I, oh, 301 southbound. I've asked twice about that from about 304. I, I don't know the mile marker. You know, it was supposed to be repaved, I believe, two or three years ago. And they came through and they patched the middle of the, the road. And it's in terrible condition. And I don't know how we can find out when that's ever going to be scheduled to be repaved there. Yeah, we had a number of roadways that um, were scheduled to be repaved. And when our funding got right. hit, we had to kind right. of think we're going to do a little more maintenance here or there. But um, you know, we're hopeful to kind of get some of that money back. Our new budget had, does have a significant amount of dollars in, in resurfacing in it that we're going to kind of revamp. Well, if we could just, just let us know, you know if and when that's ever uh, been planned. That's all I got. So, now, Commissioner, just real quick, sure. one thing that we've kind of talked about that we do think has been pretty successful is, is closing those crossovers. Absolutely, and 15. we're going to talk more about that okay. in Anne Arundel County. So, I mean, be ready. <laughs> That's all I can say. Be ready. I agree, 100. percent And I think I, those you know, ones we did down there have really worked well. Yeah, and 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 the messaging, and I think that you know we could do that same messaging on the Western Shore. Uh, for that last ramp and I think that's a safety hazard down there so the sooner that thing that safety issue gets resolved for Thursdays through Sundays the sooner I think the emails will really start to curtail off so be that as it may I, that's that's all I got so <laughs> I've seen that look before so I, I, I don't know I, I got one question that goes all the way back to the, to the Secretary Slater first started but I, I just want to try to frame some numbers and I'm not going to hold you to them but just to kind of give the public here an idea of what timeline. we're looking at a timeline um, I don't think we really got to that so best case scenario NEPA 2 study moves forward we're looking at a five to six year time frame probably and, yeah. and again just if that's ballpark, so we're at 2027. Let's just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to step forward. 2027, how long does it take to build a bridge five miles, just ballpark again? Well, that's what, four or five year construction? And then the engineering time would be? Our, our nice middle term. Oh. Oh. Yeah. 
Well, you'd want to do this design build. You <laughs> want to overlap some of the construction and design, design a little bit. Build, right. keep build, you know, so, for the record, my name is Will Pines. I'm chief operating officer for the META. I would anticipate four to five years is is very reasonable for this project of this size, the width of the bridge, um, trying to maintain the navigation channel. There's going to be a lot of complex construction for for this size. Our uh, nice Middleton Bridge, as an example, is of roughly three mile. Uh, excuse me, a three year project for a two mile bridge. Okay, so best case scenario, if we were gonna be conservative, we're looking at 2035, bef if everything goes well, before the first car would probably drive across there, right? I mean, ballpark. Just throwing it out there. So I guess, my, so this wraps into my question about the whole thing is, um, you say the bridges are structurally sound now, they're in good shape and that kind of thing. Um, how much are we spending or projected to spend between say now and 2035 in repairs to those bridges to keep them structurally sound? 24, so, so, we have it to what, 65? Yeah, the, the MDTA in 2015 performed a life cycle cost analysis mm -hmm. that the uh, study period was out to 2065. Okay. And the projection was 3.25 billion okay. with a B dollars to maintain those two structures. Okay, so that, those, and those are based on present traffic volumes and projected one, whatever the percent growth is per year in traffic volumes, but not looking at any of the cease and desist on the building that's going on at the beaches, which is bringing a lot of that traffic here with the high rises and all. So I'm just trying to frame it again in the public's mind, in my personal opinion, and I'm not none of the other, I look at this as, as you know, in, in the whole Nice Bridge, I see this as a replacement bridge because those bridges are going to get beat up a lot more than they were ever made to be beat up over the next 10, 12, 15 years, whatever it is. So I think that life cycle may be kind of generous based on the, the tractor trailer traffic that I see since the Biddletown bypass opened up. There's tons more tractor trailers moving up and down the road. So that's got to be extra wear and tear on those bridges that, again, probably not designed for. So I look at this as a replacement for the shore to help the whole corridor because I think that's where we're stagnated right now from the 97 and I drive it every day and from 97 where it meets back into 50 to 404 where you're going to either Delaware or Ocean City that corridor is it, it's our problem child one accident and it's a mess so and I think we all agree to that so I'm just trying to frame it so we're looking probably 2035 time frame now I'll go to my real question I just want to put that there so when you were talking early on about the and this is one thing that troubles me and I'm an electrician by trade so mm -hmm. I, I know that um, we talk about all these electric vehicles we want to put on the roads. Um, it's my knowledge, the electric grid that exists today as we sit here cannot support every household in even the state of Maryland with electric vehicle charging. Most houses would have to be retrofitted to have the amperage in their house to even charge an electric vehicle. Sure. Besides that, what happens to all these fuel taxes we're now using to fund our transportation uh, infrastructure are we going to get an excise tax on mileage? Are we going to have little computer chips that calculate our I mean, where is, we got to look 15 down, years down the road. If we're looking at all these modernizations and things we want to do, what is going to be all the other things that are going to be brought along with it to actually make it work? Because I just, I, in my mind, I can't see how that transition is going to happen. You got 16 billion now, we put 10 million electric cars on the road, you don't have 16 billion anymore because you don't have any gas tax. So That's right. There's a, um, this is a national issue that, that we're trying to kind of tackle as an industry. When you look in this state, you can barely kill it. It's not just electric vehicles. The cars you buy today are much more fuel efficient than the ones you bought 10 <clears> years ago. And so you can very clearly see a reduction in revenue from the vehicle, um, the fuel motor fuel tax. 
and the vehicle miles traveled. So people are driving more and we have less revenue coming into the system. Um, there's been a number of scenarios that, that different areas have kind of looked at and some pilots, those types of things. One is a vehicle miles traveled type of a, a tax. Um, the Eastern Transportation Coalition is a group that has done some kind of research on that one. Uh, essentially, uh, they, you could submit that, uh, your mileage to them and they would tell you how much you would have paid in motor fuel tax based on your revenue, how much you would have paid in, in a mileage tax. Uh, Virginia has done some things. Virginia, what Virginia did was actually said, um, and, and let me be very clear, I'm not saying I support, endorse, or any other <laughs> scenario there. No, uh, I'm just saying, you know, what some of the other areas have done. <laughs> Virginia looked at the issue and, and said, uh, okay, if you drive an electric vehicle, then um, you, you pay a tax of 85% or 75% of what the average motor fuel tax would be. You pay that in, or you can opt out of that tax and you can pay per mileage. You just have to submit. Uh, your mileage or such things. So states are trying to tackle that. Um, we have not tried to tackle that yet. Uh, one of the challenges that we have, uh, you know, we had a revenue increase. We had an increase in the motor fuel tax. Federal motor fuel tax has not been increased in decades. Uh, and, and we believe that Marylanders have stepped up and it's time maybe for the feds to, to kind of look at that same. a little bit. Um, but I think we're just trying to kind of watch that and see where it goes and see what model there. Um, I, I, I have a lot of concerns with going too radical from one state or the other. I do think it needs to be have a strong kind of role in, in federal government and the model there. Um, there's been some groups that have looked at like fuel tax or uh, sales tax and then looked at tax on goods and shipping and those types of things. And, and that has resulted in basically, you know, a higher cost of goods and higher cost of shipping. And you're kind of paying it in a different way. But how do you kind of get that back through? But yeah, it's a national issue and a very complex issue uh, that everybody's trying to tackle. All I got. Anybody else? Thanks for the easy one. You could ask for a couple. Uh, uh, Did we send this letter in? The, for the, yeah, yeah we're looking for additional cameras if that's possible. On 18. Yeah, on 18 yeah. at a couple locations Castle Marina Road and Nesbitt and Winchester Creek, just so we can get a feel for. Okay, so you, so everybody's aware of it. Just one more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're on Thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'd like to. On the bridge. Yeah. I'd like to make a point or two. As an equal member of Bragg, I'd like to uh, actually commend uh, Director Ports, Engineer Pines. I think you guys have done a fantastic job in the last years, years, I mean that, streamlining this thing and communicating it. I really want to commend you, and I'd like to extend that to Ash, who's working with us, getting this pretty involved uh, runway transition redone. So, I want you to feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you. Do you feel like Queen Anne's County is one place? It's a lot of places. So, anyway, I think you guys have done terrific. I do make one further remark. Queen Anne's County is somewhat unique in the state in this regard that I think it has imported into it a traffic problem that no other county does. Lots of counties have severe traffic problems, but they're indigenous and arising from the county itself. This one bears a burden which the state lays on it. And if you could help us out with something approachable, like a 213.50 overpass or something, <clears throat> in some equity mm -hmm. for the burden we bear, it, 
it wouldn't hurt our feelings. <laughs> That's or, it. Or the 301 corridor and some of the act grades. Yeah. I mean, it's, we just had a bad head on the other yeah, night that did. took our entire DES out. So yeah. it's so I just that's one we're really. I want to with. thank you all. Thank you. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. So um, a very wise man once said to me that um, a smaller government, uh, deeper potholes, and deeper grass. Um, so I understand the financial challenges that we're you, that, that your departments are facing at a state level as we are facing them here on the shore as well and, and, and other counties across the state of Maryland. Um, but I would be remiss if, if I didn't say along the lines of you know, throwing, showing some, some favoritism our way um, to look at some of the uh, maintenance practices of your state roads that come through Queen Anne's County and see if we can't just improve those just a little bit. I know this morning that the crews were out uh, cleaning up the Kent Narrows Bridge, which really looked bad. Um, and, and that's just because of the volume of traffic that takes place. And once again, not necessarily our traffic. But so I want to thank you for that. Appreciate it. I actually saw the, the work being done myself. That was going to be one of the things that I wanted to mention. But, you know, just the, the, the cosmetics, you know, the, the, the aesthetic, please, uh, pleasure that, that you guys can give our, our, our local uh, citizens here in Queen Anne's County by just showing uh, a good effort in, in, in keeping your, your portion um, looking its, its, its best. That would be much appreciated. Absolutely. I will say that, you know, that was one of the areas that took a pretty significant kind of budget cut. We had to focus our efforts on more of the safety issues, pushing back vegetation at the intersections, those types of things. Um, but now we're getting into that last mowing cycle where we're going to start pushing some of that vegetation back. But, but we hear you. I know. Uh, and, and those things are noticed by the, by mm -hmm. the citizens and the they folks are. that use our roads. They see that stuff, you know. And, and that's something tangible that you guys can, you know, you guys can put in the bank and, and when you're tackling some of these larger issues that we're facing here in the county. Sometimes those little, a lot of those little things will make up for that. My, uh, uh, my public service announcement for the day is we spend $10 million a year cleaning up litter. If people would just throw it in their trash can, I can upgrade an intersection. Well, I don't know why my delegation that sits behind you doesn't come up with a, uh, a law that says if you have a pickup truck or any open vehicle truck, meshing, a lid, anything, because, I mean, a lot of that trash blows out of a lot of trucks, and I got trucks. And we, we can't get people to quit throwing their grass on the road. Right. <laughs> Well, at least now you, somebody's going to pay for it. So, anybody else? Um, while we're on the Kent Narrows, I guess SHA is who we've been trying to work with to get that fishing closed off. Correct? Isn't that that right away to be able to close that yes. off? Yes. So under the Kent Narrows, the old bridge. The old bridge. Yeah, it's a very dangerous situation. Trying to think there. if somebody's fishing off it. No, they do. Well, they get <laughs> up. <laughs> what they do is they get up underneath yeah. in that slanted part. Okay. And it's it's sandy, you know, from the the concrete dust and all. It's, it's real slippery. I used to clean under there with one of the Canal Beach cleanups, and it was very dangerous going across. We've had some people nearly, and I think we did have a couple actually go in, and that current there is horrible. All we were looking for is to be able to fence that area back across. Um, but it's you guys right away. We've never been able to really come together to be able to do that to eliminate people even being able to get up underneath that bridge at that point. Because yeah, we can certainly take a look at that. See what we can do. Thank you. You know, as long as you know, from our standpoint, as long as our our bridge inspectors and our maintenance guys can get up in there, then we're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think that'd be a problem. Yeah, oh my, uh, we have to sit down and make sure that the posting's all no trespass and all. He's hiding in the back. <laughs> okay.
All right. Very good. Anybody else? Okay. Thank you. thank you. Gentlemen, thank you very much. We appreciate your time and the commitment to our 36th <laughs> district delegation. Gentlemen, thank you very much for being here. Take a break. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna, uh, we don't have to adjourn. No, we just go and recess. We're just going to recess? Yeah. Hit it.